To overcome is to conquer things that restrict you and limit you from becoming who God wants you to be. This message is the second in the series, I Will Overcome. The message is entitled, Know Your Enemy. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets this morning as we turn our attention to God's Word. I'm going to share with you a message this morning that's in line with the series, I Will Overcome, and I want to talk to you today about knowing your enemy, knowing your enemy. Jesus, when He came, gave a very clear indication, description of what He came to do for people. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief, that's the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That little phrase, more abundantly, is where we understand that Jesus wants you to experience a more life. You were made for more. To experience the more abundant life that Jesus has requires decisions. We've been talking about making right decisions, and we've looked at several of those decisions, and one of them being the decision we're studying in this particular part of the series, I will overcome. Say it together with me, I will overcome. To overcome means that there are things that have to be overcome. You can't be an overcomer unless there are things to overcome. And overcoming really implies the fact that you and I in our lives have things that restrict us, that limit us, that harass us at times, that torment us, that defeat us, that damage us, that tempt us, that discourage us from fulfilling God's plan for our life. There are all kinds of things in life that we need to overcome. And you cannot overcome without learning to be an overcomer. And part of being an overcomer involves engaging in a fight. You have to be a fighter. And last weekend we talked about sort of putting the fight into each one of you and making the decision to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to rise up and fight. I'm tired of living in my wilderness. I want to make it into God's promised land for me and for you. And that's the decision that we made. And if you missed last weekend's message, I would really encourage you to take time to go back and listen. It's available free online for you. Today we're going to talk about the next step in the process, to to fight well you have to know who and what you're fighting. You can't fight without knowing your enemy. And so sometimes you can get in a fight with the wrong stuff, right? You can get in a fight with the wrong things, and because you're in a fight with the wrong things, there's no victory, there's no overcoming that happens. And so it's not just enough to be a fighter. You have to make sure you're fighting the right battles because it's only when you fight the right battles that progress is actually made. And so I'm going to share with you five enemies that you and I as Christian believers need to be aware of, and we need to learn to fight. And really... The focus of today's message really for you, the the application, the primary application for you this weekend is I hope that you will go home from today's message and do some reflection. That's really the goal today. It's not so much just to teach you, but I hope that today's message will stir up some thought process in you and some self-analysis, some spiritual analysis, some reflection about where you are in your life and what enemies you may need to address in your life. So let's dive in and look at these five spiritual enemies that the Bible teaches us about. Number one, the Bible teaches us that each one of us battle what we might call an anti-God spirit in the world around us. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, going back to the Garden of Eden, not only did they fall prey to sin, but they set up in an environment of sin. Not only did they fall, but the environment fell. There was an atmosphere of sin that was created in a world, if you will, that was then subject to sin. And according to God's word, we live in a world that is influenced and controlled by a God of this world, little g. The God of this world is Satan. 
that as he pulls on the thoughts and mindsets of people, the values of people, and he begins to influence the environment around us. If you don't believe that, just look at the garbage that comes out of Hollywood. You look at the kind of movies that are produced and the kind of music often that's produced and the kind of stuff that you see on television. Uh, by and large, none of that is righteous. Very little of it is, has any righteous or redeeming dimension to it. And because it's coming from the spirit of the world that is backed up by the God of this age, little g, not the God Almighty, but the little God who is the God of this age, who is, tr who is trafficking in the world around us. And that's why we have in our world a lot of humanistic perspectives and an anti-God spirit that has is, that is permeated us, that is around us. In fact, most people live their lives as what I would call practical atheists. They may not say they're atheists, but they very, little, very seldom talk about God, think about God. They live a life completely separate from God. Occasionally, they may think about God, but it's usually a very distant kind of thing. Most people never even reflect upon what God's purpose or will or word is in their life. Now, I'm going to take you on a quick journey through the scripture to help you to see what the Bible says about the world. You need to understand the enemy. In a moment, I'm going to give you the point of application and the reflection for your life. In fact, why don't we read these together all over the campuses? There are five statements. There are actually four statements here that we're going to read together. So they're on your notes. So let's read them. Here we go. There is a worldly way of thinking that affects people's thoughts, values, priorities, choices, and activities. There is a worldly way of thinking. And the worldly way of thinking affects the way people think, obviously, the way people place value and priorities on things, the choices that people make, and the activities that people engage in. 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. You, dear children, are from God, talking to us as believers, and have overcome them. That's the people who are oriented toward the anti-God or anti-Christ spirit. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world has a viewpoint, and the Bible says the world listens to them. So the world listens to its own, because there's a worldly viewpoint. Colossians 2, verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I love that translation. That comes from what kind of thinking? Human thinking, and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So we're, we're told to be on guard. Don't let this stuff capture us. The second thing you must understand about the world, the anti-God spirit in the world, read it with me. A relationship with Jesus helps us escape the influence of the anti-God world. One of the reasons that Jesus came was to redeem you from the spirit of the world. As you'll see in a moment, the world is, de is destined for destruction. And so Jesus came to redeem you and me from the spirit of the world. Jesus said in John 15, 18 and 19, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you. Notice this, what? Out of the world, that is why the world hates you. Jesus said, the world hates me, and the world indeed hated Jesus. They crucified Jesus. And Jesus said, if the world hates me, understand they're going to hate you too. It's not popular to be a true Bible-believing Christian. Now, that was a great place for an amen or an oh me, one of the two, okay? It is not popular in our culture and increasingly so unpopular to be a true Bible-believing, Jesus-centered follower of Christ. It's not popular, okay? 
And if you really live that way, I promise you, you're going to experience some ostracization. You're going to experience some persecution. There are going to be times that people are going to make fun of you. But Jesus said, don't worry about it. They did that to me. If they did it to me, they're going to do it to you because you've identified. That's the world's approach to those who are followers of me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature that has become like Christ having escaped the corruption where in the world caused by evil desires the third thing that you need to understand about the world read it together with me is that we should not love the world or embrace its ways the scripture teaches us that we're in the world, but we're not to be part of the world. First John 2, 15 through 17. Listen closely. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. Did you hear that? What's not from the Father? Craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The fourth thing, and we really will just piggyback on the last one I just read there, last passage I read for you. This world, read together with me, this world is going to pass away. That's why you don't build according to this world. This world is not going to last. In its current form, it is not going to last. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11 tells us the destiny of this world. Where are we headed? In the last day, the day of the Lord. That's when Jesus comes back again and judgment is established upon evil and God establishes his kingdom forever and ever. This is what happens. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare since everything will be, what's the next word? destroyed in this way what kind of people ought you to be you ought to live holy and godly lives so if you build your life in a worldly way you're set up for the same destiny of the world that is destruction the world mindset the world value system will constantly try to pull you away from God and turn you against God you need to know this enemy well and you need to fight it and my reflection question for you today it's not on your notes but it may do you well to write it down. How worldly are you? How worldly are you? I'm not answering the question for you. I don't know the answer to that question, but only you know the answer to that question in your life. That when everything boils down, and by the way, sometimes we're far more worldly than we realize we are. Okay? And so we have to open up our hearts and lives to God and say, God, would you help me to understand how worldly am I? Because it's a battle that every believer fights. Number two, you battle a rebel inside of you. That's your second enemy. The world, now we're talking about you inside of you. 
And not only is there an anti-God spirit in the world, but there's, a, and there's an enemy actually who lives inside your body, okay? And that enemy that lives inside of your body, the Bible refers to it as your sinful nature, as your flesh, as your carnal nature. The Bible refers to it as sin living inside of us. There is a rebellious nature living in every person here. And this, re- this rebel that lives inside of us fights against the authority of God. It resists the authority of God, whatever form it comes. The rebel in you will resist the authority, the will, the kingdom of God. There's resistance that lives. There's rebellion that lives inside of all of us that fights against the word of God, the will of God, the authority of God. Look at what the scripture says, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Again, today is a day of reflection, okay? Some, some uh, sermons, some messages just build you up with great faith. Other messages make you think. So I hope that today's message makes you think. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is, a, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, this refuse to obey God, this rebellion. All of us used to, live, used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So it's talking about this evil nature that all of us are born with. Romans 8, 5 through 8. Now let's come into the life of the believer. Those who are dominated, Paul's writing to Christians here, those who are dominated by the sinful nature or the rebellious nature or the carnal nature, think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Notice that when you're under the control of your sinful nature, your rebel that's living in you, can you please God? No, you're going to live in a way that's displeasing them. Galatians 5, 6 through 21. Listen closely. I'm going to read this very quickly. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly, what are they doing? Fighting. you got a battle going on inside of your soul. They're constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. That's another message for another time. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's another passage I'm not going to take time to read for you in Ephesians chapter 4, but it talks about how Jesus calls us to put to death the sinful nature. But my reflection question for you in the second part of today's message is simply this, how rebellious or how resistant are you? Question number one, how worldly are you? Question number two, how rebellious or resistant are you? Number three. You battle unseen evil forces around you. 
This is the third enemy that you and I need to be aware of. In all aspects of life, we have a tendency to think that what we see is all there is. But what you can see is not all there is. There are, un, there are many things that are unseeable yet very real. Wind is unseeable, but it's real, isn't it? Electricity is unseeable, but it's real. Radio waves are unseeable, but they're real. Sound waves, you can't see them, but they're very, very real. Atoms, you can't see them, but they're real. Gravity, you can't see it, but it is real. All these things are invisible. And yet we never think about them acknowledging the reality of them because we see the impact, the effect of them. And I want to tell you that just as there are certain things, if you will, in the natural world, in the world of physics that exist that are very real but unseeable, there is an unseen world in the spiritual realm that you and I must be very aware of. Because if you go through life without acknowledging the unseen world and the spiritual realm, you're going to find yourself trafficked upon by the adversary in very real ways. There are two kingdoms that are unseen but real. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as it's also known, or the kingdom of light. These are all synonymous terms. And then on the other side, the other battle force in the unseen realm is the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of darkness. And these kingdoms are very, very real. They exist. You cannot see them, but they exist. In the realm of God's kingdom, there's the active work of God the Father. There's the active work of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's the active work of the Holy Spirit at work in the world by His Word. There's the active Spirit of God, the Trinity, at work among us. There's also a heavenly host of angels. You cannot see them, but they're angelic hosts that are actually fulfilling assignments from God. Some of you are alive. Literally, you're alive today because of an angel. You couldn't see it, you didn't realize it at the time, but you look back and so say, there's no reason that I'm living except for the fact that somebody, God intervened, and God dispatched one of his angels to help you. You say, Pastor, you're getting weird. No, I'm not. I'm getting biblical, okay? There are angels that exist in the spiritual realm. They're out there, okay? I, I, I know, I, I look back on one particular experience in my life, I'll tell it to you very quickly, uh, a number of years ago, probably, my goodness, I don't even know how many years ago now, I was uh, up on a very tall ladder about uh, probably 40 feet up in the air and doing some sighting work. And so uh, I had, uh, I had the, the ladder was one of those long aluminum extension ladders. And because it had been pulled out to such a uh, lengthy degree, it was very flimsy at the top. And I took a turn and the ladder began to flip and started heading down. And I was in a very awkward position. And I know that had I not been able to change positions, I would have been very seriously, uh, very seriously hurt. But what happened was, and I tell you the truth, what happened was, as I'm on, as I'm on the way down, the ladder stopped in midair. And I was able to swing around and grab like a cat the back part of that ladder and brace myself for the impact so that I could hit and roll and I was not damaged one bit. To this day, I can tell you that I know that there was an angel that grabbed that ladder for me, okay? You can't convince me otherwise. I'm looking forward to meeting that angel when I get to heaven. Just thank him for that that nice little intervention in my life. But God is at work in the spiritual realm. You have to understand this. But on the other side, there's this kingdom of darkness where there's the prince of darkness named Satan or the devil, and there are also demonic beings that do, de that do the devil's bidding. 
Now the good news is this, that when Lucifer, who is now Satan, was cast out of heaven, I don't have time to do all the theological back work on this for you today, but when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, there was one third of the angels that left heaven with Lucifer. Can you believe that even in heaven there was a rebellion there? Hard to imagine. That's how subtle that spirit is. And so even in heaven, there was one-third of the angels that rebelled with Lucifer. The good news, two-thirds of them stayed with God. So for every demon, there are two angels ready to battle with them again. And so you don't have to be afraid. I'm not here today when I talk about this to make you fearful. You don't need to be afraid, but you do need to learn to fight. It's not a matter of fear. I'm not trying to instill fear in you today. Fear is not necessary. God doesn't give you the spirit of fear, but he does call you to be a fighter. And if you don't fight this stuff aggressively, you will be encroached upon in your life. Ephesians chapter 6, 11 and 12. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world against evil spirits in the heavenly places first peter 5 8 be alert and of a sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and the good news is that jesus is the conqueror jesus is the overcomer but you have to stand up and fight you've got to put on your your warfare weapons you've got to use your weapons and the weapons that we've been given are mighty through god for the pulling down of strongholds i'll talk about that more in just a minute but here's my reflection question for you. Question number one, how worldly are you? You better think about that. I better think about that. Question number two, how rebellious or resistant are you? Is that spirit in you? Is there a rebellious, resistant spirit in you against the will and authority and ways of God? Thirdly is, where is the devil encroaching upon your life right now? Where are there things going on in your life that cannot be attributed just to natural circumstances or natural problems? But you know that behind whatever it, is, whatever it is you may be facing, there's something of an adversarial spiritual attack that you need to be wise to and you need to battle against. Number four, the fourth thing today, you battle strongholds inside of you. This is your fourth area of struggle and battle as a Christian. All of us have sinned and because we sin, we get into trouble, we, we hurt ourselves. Every time you sin, you hurt yourself. And we also live in a sinful world, and when other people sin, we get hurt by it as well. And so when you get hurt by sin, or hurt by the sins of other people, if you don't process it the right way, and none of us always do, what happens is there's something that lodges down in your soul that we will refer to, and the Bible refers to as a stronghold. A stronghold is a hurt. A stronghold is a, is a, is a limitation. A stronghold is a bondage in your life. A stronghold is something that holds you back from the full potential that Jesus created you to experience. And you, it's something that you keep running into over and over again. You get, get up some speed, you think you're going to make it through, and then bam, you hit that wall. And every time you get, try to get past it, you keep hitting that same wall. You get, if you will, tethered to that same ball and chain. It never seems to get you past where you're going. So you're trying to run a race, but there's something that's holding you back and limiting you and holding you down. It affects your thinking, it affects your relating, it affects your decision-making processes. These are called strongholds. And what happens is, when these things get worked into your life... They affect 
affect you spiritually and emotionally and psychologically and relationally. They're strongholds that actually restrict your development and restrict your potential. Now, a stronghold, I'll give you the basic definition of a stronghold. A stronghold is anything that has a stronghold on you. Okay? Very simple. I'm not trying to be funny. I know it sounds funny, but I'm not trying to be funny. But a stronghold is anything that has a stronghold on you. So every time you try, it's like a leash on you that you try to run and you just can't get past it. It's the kind of thing that keeps you in your wilderness, as we talked about last week, and keeps you from entering into the full promised land. Now listen to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, what's the next phrase there? Say it with me, church, all the campuses. What's the phrase? Every weight. Think about that. Write it down. It's not on your notes, I know, but write down the word every weight. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Some things in your life are not sins, but they are weights. They're weights that hold you back. And that's why the Bible says lay aside not just the sins, but lay aside the weights. Because the weights are the impact, the effect of sin that you haven't processed well in your life and come to places of healing and restoration for. So there are strongholds in all of our lives that must be battled and must be overcome. So what's the reflection question for you in this category? Number one, how worldly are you? Number two, how rebellious or resistant are you? Think about that in your life. What was the third thing? What, what areas of encroachment are there places the adversary has in your life that you need to battle a spiritual battle against? Number four, here's your fourth question. What things have a strong hold on you that need to be broken? You can't be an overcomer until you identify the things in your life that have a strong hold on you that need to be broken. Let's go to the last point here. And that is that you battle daily pressures on you. You battle daily pressures on you. Life comes to us with daily pressures and problems and challenges and bills and obstacles and disappointments and hurts and hurdles. Life is just that way. You, you solve one problem and here comes another. You notice that? You get everything sort of set up. You think, well, finally. And then the finally, you get a phone call or you get something now that comes up. And so this is just life. It's what life is. And how you handle life is a big part of overcoming. How you handle life is a part of the battle. And dealing with life well, dealing with life pressures well, is part of becoming an overcomer. Look at Jesus' words in John 16, verse 33. He's talking to his disciples. He's going to be crucified. He's in the upper room with them. There before he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the next day he's going to be crucified. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world, you will have, what does it say? Trouble. Now, that's not exactly the memory verse of the week that you want to put on your refrigerator, is it? Like, in this world, you will have trouble. I don't want to claim that, okay? But Jesus said, you've got to be aware of this. In this world, you will have trouble. It's just a part of it. It's not even about the devil. It's not that we live in a broken world, but it's, it's just the fact that you live in the world. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus started out by saying, I told you all these things so that in me you'll have peace. Now understand, in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer or take heart, I have overcome the world. So trouble is sandwiched in between peace 
and relationship with the overcomer. Isn't that good to know? Okay. Trouble is, is sandwiched in between the promise of Jesus' peace to you and the promise of His overcoming power in your life. And so it's really not about the trouble. It's about learning to walk in the peace of God as we are in relationship with Jesus, who is the overcomer. But every day of your life, you're going to have the battle of simply dealing with daily pressure. And you have to learn how to overcome that in your life with the grace and power of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you a story. It's not a true story, just so you know the story. There's an old farmer out one day, and he had his old dog with him. His old dog was just, I mean, his dog was just on the last leg. I mean, the dog was just about to die. And they're walking along, and as they're walking along, they come to an empty well, an old empty well. If you remember out in the farming days, the wells that sometimes would not be covered up. And so inadvertently, the old dog slipped over and fell down the well, down in the deep part of the well. So the, the farmer didn't really know what happened to the dog. He thought, well, maybe he killed the dog. I mean, maybe the dog's dead by now. I guess I'll just bury him there, okay? Now, you dog lovers, stay with me, okay? The story gets better, okay? So the farmer got a shovel and started throwing the dirt down the well to fill the well up, to cover up the dog in the well. And when that first shovel of dirt hit the dog, the dog woke up tried to figure out what was going on and the dog made a decision the dog decided I'm just going to shake it off and step it up and every time another shovel of dirt came down what would the dog do he would shake it off and step it up and before long the farmer looked there and there was the dog right there beside him okay The principle being Jesus says, when the dirt of life, the pressures of life come on you, here's what you need to do. You need to, and, come on, you're not with me today, come on. Some of you, I can tell you lost an hour of sleep, I see it right now, okay? So when life just throws the dirt, you're just buried in life, and you're down in that well, you wonder, how am I going to make it? Remember the story of the farmer and the dog, what do you do? You shake it off and you step it up. So here's my question for you. How are you dealing? This is your reflection question. How are you dealing with the pressures of everyday life? Are you growing in your capacity to deal with the pressures of everyday life? Are you learning in Jesus how to shake it off and step it up? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful. For the opportunity that we've had to study together. And I pray that in this moment you'll take this message. And I pray especially these five questions that we've asked today. Lord, I pray that they will linger with us. I pray that we will not shove them into a notepad somewhere and forget about them. I pray that, that we would really reflect upon them. And ask you to speak to us about the worldliness in our lives. Speak to us about the rebellious nature that's in us. Speak to us, Lord, about the things where we need to do battle against the adversary. Speak to us, Lord, about strongholds that need to be overcome. And Lord, show us how we can become better at shaking off the stuff of the world and the pressures of life and stepping up with faith in you. Lord, let all these, these questions find good answers in you that will move us forward as overcomers. And we ask it in Jesus' name.
thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.